Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good, excuse me, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I am Contessa Kennedy, your host of New Year, New Career, How to Make Your Dream Career a Reality, and our topic for today is that it's never too late. And our leading lady today is Mrs. Tina Chapman DaCosta, who is the Director of Diversity Theater at Rochester Institute of Technology and the writer, actor, producer of an award-winning film, Brick, Break, Break. Tina, how are you? Oh, I am fabulous. It is so good to be with you today. Oh, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure. So our topic today is that it's never too late. And the reason um, that I chose this topic is that I find that many of my potential clients think that no matter where they are on their career journey, how old they are, that it seems to be always already too late to switch careers. And I just really want to debunk that career myth once and for all that it is never too late. And so I ask you to be here today because of your extraordinary career journey I think that you're an amazing woman. I might be biased because you're my Aunt Tina, and you might hear me <laughs> refer to you as Aunt Tina throughout this call, but I just wanted to tell you how much you've inspired me on my own career journey and my different career transitions and ultimately how I became a career coach. And so I thought it would be appropriate to have you as my first guest here on my show today. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you honor me. You honor me with your words uh, and what you have chosen and the example you are giving for others in your life. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity and for all the wonderful um, messages you just shared. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So um, a part of your career journey, I've listened to the story over my lifetime, and I don't know if I have it correct, so I'll just try my best for, for the beginning. I remember when you told me, and I was so shocked and so, like, proud of you when you first told me that I think after college, I think you got a degree in math, and you went to work for IBM, a very important woman, and then you ended up moving over to the Rochester Institute of Technology to teach math. But currently, as we heard, you are acting, directing, you are not teaching math any longer. So would you want to <laughs> share us with your career story or a piece of it that you think could help women who are wondering if they can do a career transition? Thank you, Contessa. I'd love to do that. And, um, yes, you did witness uh, a lot of that transition. And I also agree with you. I want to debunk the myth that it's too late to switch careers. And if we think it's going to take a little bit of time or too much time, um, then there's nothing wrong with that. As long as we have the time, as long as we are breathing and standing up for this on this earth, it's never too late to learn something new or to provide your contributions in other ways. 
So for me, you're absolutely right. When I came out of high school, I wanted to set the world on fire uh, by being a computer (laughs) scientist and studying computer science and mathematics. I also wanted to disprove a particular myth that women and people of color could not do math and science. Now, I wasn't taught that directly, but indirectly, those are the messages I received when I was growing up because I didn't see people doing those kinds of things who looked like me. So I wanted to major in computer science and work for a Fortune 500 company. I was also interested in the arts. I was doing a little bit of acting. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, so I started doing some acting at Caramu Playhouse, and I enjoyed that. But when it came time to go to college, I thought I should choose computer science um, and also mathematics. So I did that, and when I graduated from college, I uh, was offered a job by IBM, uh, working as a systems engineer and later a programs manager, and I did very well. I had a successful run at that and was able to manage a very large geographic territory and get awards, but it took me further away from direct customer engagement, and I found that I missed that. So I started teaching at night as an adjunct professor at a community college, teaching math and computer programming, and I loved it. And I didn't realize that that was a part of me that I needed in order to be satisfied Mm -hmm. in the work that I was doing. So I've been at IBM for about 11 years, and I just decided to leave. I honestly, I didn't even have another job to go to yet. It was only because Mm -hmm. I felt that this was the process that I needed to take because I needed that transition time. Now, I'm not, there's different ways to do this, but that's what I did. Now, did I have a family with kids? I sure did. (laughs) I had kids, (laughs) you know, school-age kids and things like that, but I had a plan, and I wanted to be true to myself because I felt that I had worked so hard to achieve what I had done so far that I needed to be satisfied in what I was doing. And so that was a step, a leap of faith. It definitely was. And when I left IBM, I wanted to pursue um, an opportunity either in higher education and teaching or even something in the performing arts. Um, But I had an opportunity to start working as a consultant uh, with an organization called the Winters Group that introduced me to diversity theater. I'm like, diversity theater, Mm. what is that? It was a combination of using the arts in education, using theater-based methods for people to learn um, conflict resolution styles, to learn how to be inclusive in their workplace practices. Um, And there was a lot of work being done in the realm of organizational development. And so I navigated myself to have my own consulting company at that time, working um, through the Winners Group and others to help offer services that would advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. We just didn't call it that at the time. It was more in human uh, professional development and organizational development. Mm -hmm. While I was doing that, um, I had an opportunity uh, to be recruited by Rochester Institute of Technology because they wanted to uh, start a degree program in information technology. They had known about my work at IBM. And like I said before, I had children at home and still needed to provide, you know, um, a steady income for them. And there were other things going on in the economy. Um, I think it was after the 9-11 disasters. Mm. And the world was on pause, you know, just like with the pandemic Mm. we're having right now, the Mm -hmm. world is sort of on pause. So with that, I assessed things and decided to take the position at RIT. So I was an assistant professor there and had a wonderful um, run, as I say, of being able to engage with students, 
faculty and staff and develop the IT program, and then also later develop the network security assistance administration degree program. So all this coming from wow. my in, my background with IBM and the programming. And, and the main thing that I enjoyed about that, that is satisfied for me, was being able to help other people, you know, being able to encourage students, um, you know, they're launching their careers and, you know, work in that realm of being able to build a good learning environment. I have to admit, I wasn't as excited about doing research in computer networking. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried. I thought maybe I might even go back and get a PhD, you know, in that arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started looking at those degrees, it was the MFA program that really spoke to me uh, about being able to be a performance artist. And that may seem, you know, separate from the path I was on, but that was always part of me. It's just that it wasn't one that I paid attention to um, at the time I was choosing the computing field. And some of it had to do with biases, biases that I had towards the arts versus sciences and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I, I took another leap of faith. I actually gave up my tenure track position to go back to school. And I got my MFA um, in script writing because I really wanted to be a performance artist to tell people's stories. I thought the script writing degree um, would help me get more into theater as a means of the storytelling. But in the MFA degree program, we also make films because it was an MFA in film and animation, also with script mm-hmm. writing. And I was pleasantly surprised because my films were getting recognized, my student films and film festivals, and I had opportunities mm-hmm. later to teach within our film school and then to talk about this concept of diversity theater, which my university, Rochester Institute of Technology, came to me and asked me to start that program. And so today I am able to combine my background in engineering and product development, uh, my work at IBM and my and analytical ways of using data to make decisions about the work that we're doing. I use my consultant experience in diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, to help people and organizations um, build better supportive communities, inclusive communities, and community building and advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I get to also work as a performance artist, as a storyteller, uh, in integrating the arts, you know, into the community building work. And one of our um, – we did several projects under Diversity Theater. One of them is the brick-by-brick brick film um, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, so that's sort of in a summary of my pathway. I love your summary. It was so, like, beautiful, but I feel like it was probably very difficult. Like, you seem so fluid and so, like, it naturally happened. Was there a time when it was, like, you talked about these biases. Was there a time when it seemed, like, out of your reach to work in, you know, like, the arts compared to what was more, um, you know, feasible at the time to tell people, right? Like, oh, I'm working Mm -hmm. in you know, this industry that's very moving forward and this was everyone wants. Did you feel at any time that it, it, you would not be where you are today? Like looking back through that lens of that, that 20, 25-year-old woman or I'm not sure I'm just making up numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say, yeah, yeah, you know, yes and yes. Um, there was a couple of moments, and I'll just mention maybe two. Um, so one, when I was about five-year-old woman, and I had my children, you know, very early. I got married very early in my 20s. So I had three children before I was 30. And 
there was mm-hmm. a moment when, you know, I had been working so hard to finish college, you know, while I had my children to get this opportunity, to get this job at IBM. And it, and it wasn't just landed in my lap. I mean, I worked on that position for two years because I met mm. IBM at a job fair. I interviewed with them. I even was pregnant with my third baby at that time. <laughs> I had the uh, the reputation of the person they said who went to lunch and had a baby and then came back to work because I did go into labor while I was at work, and I didn't tell anyone. You know, I was trying to finish up my co-op internship, whatever you want to call it, and I came back two weeks later to finish up my project. So, you know, I committed committed a lot, you know, to to be there and to not show and to show that nothing was going to hinder um, my work, being a woman or being a mother, working mother or anything like that. You know, just speaking to some of those stereotypes. So when I had accomplished all that, there was a moment when one of my colleagues was very excited about a new product launch that was coming out for the platform that he and I supported. And he was so elated about it. And I looked at myself like, why am I not excited? I mean, (laughs) it's going to be a good product, you know, in terms of this new computer system, what it can do. But I wasn't as ecstatic like he was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when I started to really examine myself to say, you know, you could people could actually have a career that they really love. Uh, And I know that may seem naive, Mm. but I was Mm. so focused on what I had to do, on what I needed to prove, um, and choosing what I thought was the pivotal, you know, career path that I forgot to choose choose those things based on my joy or based on my passion Mm. or based on what I really love to do. And that's when I started to examine myself. And, yes, I did have children at home, and there were choices and priorities that I had to make, and I'm so glad I did. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew I was also interested in the arts, um, and I had to make a choice because working full-time as an engineer and trying to do plays or something in the evening does not leave much time for going over homework with your kids. Mm -hmm. And I knew they were only going to be with me you know, for X number of years, maybe until they were 18. And I remember Contessa making that as a conscious decision that I was going to put on hold my aspirations of, you know, working as an actor or performance artist uh, and focus on being there for my kids Um, because I still worked, you know, full time. That was something that I had to do. And I made that choice. And it was just putting it on hold. I didn't feel like I would never obtain it. It just felt like right now this is where I need to focus my attention because you can't really do both. You you can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody wants 110%. So, And as women, I think we um, always work hard to deliver that. And who gets that extra 10%? Who gets that extra 10%? I don't think it's even 10%. I think it's 100%. It's 200%. We're going to give our all. To our careers, we're going to give our all to our children. So at that two hundred percent, that is where it just it, it's unfeasible. Oh, hold on, we have. I just want to go ahead and take a quick moment to recognize one of our sponsors. I, I really quick. Um, and yes, thank you. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be San Diego's largest private nonprofit university founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the U.S. and around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and partners. 
And now, back to your show, Contessa. Thank you. And we are here with Mrs. Tina Chapman DeCosta. And you were just saying, we were just saying, the, oh, sorry. <laughs> we were saying um, working um, as a working mom is like 200%. And something that you said resonated with me. When I was pregnant with my second child, and at that point, I, I mean, as a woman, it just, I used to think about like Cleopatra, and I'm sure she had many kids and married or, you know, dalliance with many famous men in her career. And she, she even, you know, ran an empire. How did she, how was she pregnant and did all this? I was so overwhelmed being pregnant. And at work, I noticed that people tend to care at first, the first few months, but after seven or eight or nine months, people are kind of just done with it. It's just an inconvenience. And I felt like my, my work suffered from, you know, being pregnant. And I was almost resentful of the fact that people did not understand that I'm still the same person. I'm still doing my best. Like you said, you showed up at the very, you know, right before, and almost went into labor there at your workplace. And I think women, we need to just let go of this like 225% because it's just something that uh, I don't know what, what to say about it. I just, I'm, what do you think? <laughs> well, it's evolving. You know, it's evolving. And so we have obviously a couple of decades between us, right? Uh, in terms of when we think about entering the workspace and what was going on. So when I entered the workspace, um, there was there was only one woman in my organization at IBM who was working part-time, at, you know, after her maternity leave. And I know it was a challenge for her to, um, to send the message that she was still obviously a viable part, you know, of mm-hmm. the organization and what, what she was doing. But I know that was also probably a struggle. So there was a reason why when I was there, I didn't tell anyone I, was, I went into labor. And I know it's because I, I did not want – it's true. It's, it's sad, but true. I, I, I didn't want my pregnancy to be a barrier for how they were going to look at my work and my work responsibilities. I had confidence that since it was my third child, I knew what I was doing, and I could drive myself <laughs> to the hospital, which is what I did um, when I had Anna. Uh, but nonetheless, there was this um, – the culture – was one in which you felt you had to not show that anything was going to be a barrier to what you were doing, even if you were a woman or even if you had children. I can remember when my son Candidate got sick in school, and, it, you know, those viruses go around and, and when they're little mm-hmm. bitty kids. And even oh, my yeah. manager, after he was, you know, this was the second time I had to take time off, it, it was he was not considerate whatsoever. Um, now, I didn't have all managers like that. I had a really good manager who even became a babysitter for my kids, um, you know, later oh, on. Nice. So, yeah, he became the godfather and everything. But anyway, you know, so there was people had different attitudes toward it, but you wanted to be able to, to do your best work no matter what. So the bottom line is you only have enough energy to do what you can do, regardless of what everyone else wants. And even as, you, as we talk about being a mom, even your children want everything from you. Like they want mm-hmm. that whole 200% so you don't have anything left. So we have to prioritize. So we have to prioritize, but we also have to tell ourselves that we are enough. What we are giving mm-hmm. is enough. And that what we're doing today does not define what tomorrow is going to be or next year is going to be. So maybe today I had to work extra hours in order to get certain things done, you know, at work, and I wasn't able to maybe do what I wanted to do for the kids that day. But maybe it's another, the next day or another day, I'm able to give more of that time to my family or my children or things that they needed, and I'm able to manage, you know, what is um, not on my plate right now in terms of the work side. So we have to be more um, kind 
to ourselves mm-hmm. because we are phenomenal. We are so phenomenal yeah. as women. Mm-hmm. Oh, just I know there's a, a song in, in Maya Angelou's uh, poem about phenomenal women. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, yes, yes we yes. are. Yes. But we yes. have to. But we have to give ourselves room and take special care. So the last thing I'll say about some of that is what we were saying is. Although I had to make a decision, and I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I mm-hmm. focused on the young people who I was given the charge to, to bring into this world and to raise, because now we have such a beautiful relationship. I mean, I don't feel that I regret it. I don't regret anything. I don't feel like I missed mm-hmm. out on anything. And I hope they would mm-hmm. agree. Um, but I'm, oh, I'm sure they now, will. Well, I hope so. But I'm able oh, to I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the performance art piece is what I'm doing now. And I'm doing it in a way that I did not expect. And it's not too late. You know, it's not too late. I was speaking to um, a, a sixth graders uh, last week for career day. It was through Zoom, and it's a, a school uh, in Maryland. And I was telling them about my film and as a playwright and scriptwriter and showed them little bits and pieces of it. And then before we ended, one of the uh, students said, you know, at what age did you fall in love with film? You know, like that movie says, oh. what age did you fall in love with hip-hop, right? What age yeah. did you fall in love with film? And I said, 50? <laughs> I said, 50, because it's true. I got my MFA when I was 50. I graduated with my MFA when I was 50. So, and I come from a legacy of that. My mom, your grandmother, yes, went to college to and got up. her degree. Yep. Yeah, she she went when she was I think in her sixties, late fifties. Maybe she was late fifties when I uh, she okay. got her Yeah, when she got her so degree. So it's never and, too late, Aunt Tina. Uh, no, it's, it's never not. too late. It's never. Oh, and it's wonderful now because you you can see the landscape in front of you. You have everything that you've been doing already. You don't you know put those skills on the shelf. That's still part of your platform yes. and your foundation. Absolutely. Yes. I tell what another the thing that you said about it's never you're you're enough. I always talk to my clients. This always comes up at least once within the program is that they think that their skill sets are not viable for future careers, and they just think that they have to go back to school. Like I went back and got my master's. That didn't get me any closer to being happy at work. It was a nice you know peg on the wall, but it didn't get me any closer to my actual goals of what I wanted to do for me. And I didn't realize that. I thought I had to do all these other things if I wanted to start over because I feel like. Society tells us that we need to do all of this, you know, to do the, the systematic good school, good job, you know, keep the job forever, retire. Like, it, they don't tell you that you're going to change your mind. They don't tell you that you don't know your entire future at 17 or 18 or 22. They don't tell you that it's okay <laughs> and even normal to change your mind during your life, lifetime. And I tell them that the skills that you have in whatever you're doing, especially in this 21st century economy when schools are fo- focused on collaboration and initiative and things like that, are that you can wield whatever you have into that resume or interview of the job that you want because the job that you want is who you are and you already have enough like you are enough you don't need anything else you are enough as a mother you are enough as a queer woman you have everything that you need to move forward and I know you talked about uh, quickly about your love of film and I just want you to talk a, a, you know, a little bit about what you're working on right now I know we don't have much time but can you tell us what you are working on because sure. I'm excited and thrilled by this project. Oh, uh, thank you for asking that question. And I I applaud what you just said about skills being transferable 
Um, and that is what we do. We have to help people recognize that. And I mm-hmm. love the work that I do because that's what I'm trying to do. Community mm-hmm. building is what I'm committed to doing. Um, and that includes encouraging one another and helping us see the value and the work that we have um, within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and to reach out and to add to that, right, to, to additional experiences, additional knowledge, maybe education, yes. collaboration, and so forth. So the project I'm working on now, uh, you mentioned the mm-hmm. film, Brick by Brick. Um, it's, been a, it's been a dream come true for me. So Brick by Brick is based on my father's um, life. And when he passed away in 2006, I've been wanting to tell his story ever since. And I noticed it's been coming up when I started doing performance arts work. So a, I, I wrote a few one-act plays that got into some festivals, and each one of those plays had a remnant of his story. And then when I went to film school, majoring in script writing, the feature script that I wanted to write was about my father's story. Why? Because he has such a humble beginning growing up during the Great Depression, losing his father and grandfather during during a riot, um, and then trying to get into the Brick Masons Union uh, during times when they were discriminatory, and the challenges that he overcame to not only be the first licensed and bonded, African-American contractor in Cleveland, Ohio, building homes for many people, especially those who couldn't afford them, but also being able to mend the relationship with his father and being able to uh, work with him in building homes for people and so forth. And he did so much. He also started the Mm -hmm. Blue Goose roller skating rink and employed (laughs) the whole neighborhood, as he would say. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, um, he encouraged so many people, and, and I feel so honored when you say how my life experiences has encouraged you. My, mm-hmm. I feel the same way about your grandfather and what he has done for me. So Brick by Brick is a film um, that I wrote as a feature uh, about his life from, like, 1935 to about the uh, 1940s. And I wrote a proposal to shoot a portion of that film, uh, which is a short film, about 16 minutes long. And that's the one that won uh, Best Short Film at the San Diego Black Film Festival and was nominated. Thank you. Was nominated for an Academy Award at the Africa Movie Academy Awards in 2020. So we use that now at my university uh, because it was produced with Diversity Theater at RAT. Uh, I produced it also with our School of Film and Animation and employed our students plus um, film professionals uh, across the country. But the film is used to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion for all incoming freshmen uh, to the university. And we've launched that. We've had to relaunch it for, for, um, to do it online because of COVID mitigation, um, and now I am getting in position to shoot the second part or another portion of that film, and I'm, my goal is to have the feature made and so that it could also be used for um, what I call advancing diversity, equity, inclusion, or for community building. So everything I do, I am committed to using my talents and skills for community building. Um, so that's the project. Well, you are on, on right fire, fire right now. <laughs> Just in case our listeners may want to reach out to you after the show, how would you like our listeners to contact you? Oh, wonderful. Well, my email is tina.chapman at rit.edu. So T-I-N-A dot Chapman, C-H-A-P as in Paul, M-A-N at rit.edu, so that's Rochester Institute of Technology. And if they're interested in um, seeing the film, it's going to be in the Jacunda Film Festival uh, that's out of New York City. 
later this month. Uh, starts The festival starts May 21st, and their website is theriottheater.com. So the, T-H-E, and then Riot, R-I-A-N-T, and then theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E.com. All right. Thank you. We're going to have a link to your to the website and to your email um, on the episode page as well. Um, also, I just want to talk to those ladies out there who, if you are still feeling like you are, um, it's too late to switch careers, it is never too late. You are enough. You have exactly what you need to get into the career of your dreams. You deserve to be doing work that you love, that energizes you, that fulfills you and connects to your value system each and every day. And if you need extra support with that, I'm actually offering a free 30-minute one-on-one perfect match career coaching session. My perfect match program was just released. And if you are serious about making changes, if you feel like you are coachable and you feel like you need something new now, please reach out to me. My information is also on the page, or you can reach me at uh, perfectmatch-career.com. I like to say thank you so much to Mrs. Tina Chaplin DeCosta for being our leading lady today, and a special thanks to all of our listeners, both in the U.S. and internationally, as we are on an international show. We will be back again for another Women Lead Radio Show, Mondays at 9 a.m. and Fridays at 2 p.m. It has been my sincerest pleasure to be your host today. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. Thank you. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.